Dominic Garcia is the CIO of the New Mexico Public Employee Retirement Association and today's guest on the CIO podcast. He's been at the helm since 2017, coming from the State of Wisconsin Investment Board after he was lured from his first job at the fund, a deputy CIO, in 2008. Garcia runs a tight but thoughtful ship at the fund encouraging his team to approach him with ideas to better the assets of the plan and its members. I'm Chris Butera, and today, Dominic's going to tell us about his experience at SWIB and how it prepared him for his CIO role, some recent innovations in risk parity, and more. Much of what he brings to the table he learned from David Villa, SWIB's CIO and executive director, who also happens to be one of the most respected chiefs in the game. Working with David and just working at SWIB in general was a wonderful experience. David himself, he's a very high energy person. He has a high bar, has a high standard for ideas, for everything, quite frankly. He expects original thought. He expects hard work. Obviously, David was a big mentor of mine, and I'm very grateful. He took a lot of risk on me, somebody who had a relatively modest experience and recruited me up to Wisconsin and gave me too much responsibility, and it worked out really well for me. Working at SWIB was like a laboratory. We were all about trying to get to the best ideas and the best solutions for our client in the uniqueness of the pension system. And David, what he created was a meritocracy, a meritocracy of ideas, a meritocracy of just quality, and I'll never forget that. One of the big things I learned was that a lifelong learning is, is a key to not only success professionally, but to yourself personally. There's always something to learn, whether it's in the investment world or outside of, and quite frankly, being a institutional investor is you're kind of at a liberal arts school. You need to learn a little bit of everything. So lifelong learning is a key to success. Another thing was being pushed outside your comfort zone really leads to a lot of personal and professional growth. Don't be afraid and just be pushed just enough. Think twice. Always do your own research. Be an independent thinker. Ideas are currency. Ideas drive value add. David really impressed that upon me and upon folks at SWIFT. And I try to bring that here. Part of those ideas is not only ideas, but a philosophy of separating alpha and beta. It is important to separate and identify skill versus non-skill. And the way David would explain it is trying to identify the lipstick on a pig. Many managers, many strategies are just kind of beta in disguise. And so trying to ensure that you're identifying skill and paying appropriately for it is key. Viewing portfolios through a risk lens, not a capital allocation lens. So many times we get caught up in looking at our capital allocation, how much we have 50% in equities or whatever it is, but we forget to look at what that actually generates in risk terms and volatility and et cetera. By looking at portfolios through a risk lens, whatever that risk lens is, whether it's a factor, volatility, or all of the above, I think you tend to come up with different solutions in a portfolio. And I think that's a paradigm shift for folks. Being mission-based. Recognizing that as a public pension fund, the only reason you're here is to pay benefits and make sure you're paying benefits sustainably for generations to come. Obviously, you want to build a very effective and efficient portfolio, and many times we get caught up with peer rankings, etc. But at the end of the day, we're here to do the best thing we can for our client, and I think that was pressed upon me, and I think that I continue to press upon our staff here is we need to be mission-based and making sure that we're doing the best we can for our client and the dynamics of our plan. Last but not least is things in this industry can be costly, but making sure you're paying the appropriate cost. 
that you're not overpaying for things that are not skilled, and ensuring that you have the right alpha split in terms of how much of the gross do you keep and how much does the manager keep, being very cognizant and diligent on ensuring that there's an appropriate cost split of value add. So those are some of the things that I've learned and, and some of the lessons and some of the philosophies that I've tried to bring into staff and integrate here into our approach. That tenure at SWIB and that tenure with David was a great experience, and it's molded me to the type of CIO and investor I am today. After nine years at Wisconsin, Garcia came back to the para with knowledge he'd gleaned from Villa. Armed with some new strategies and tactics, he realized what had to be done when he decided to return to his old organization, this time in the top spot. The fund's turnaround had been high, but he's taken some steps to help change that. So again, taking some lessons that I've learned over my tenure, the first couple of things that I did when I got here, and unfortunately, for the last 9, 10 years prior, Para has had a, quite a bit of turnover at the senior leadership and the CIO position. So I thought one of the first things that was important as I came in was to kind of establish this idea of what I think the investment CIO role is. First thing I did was I really established a, an investment philosophy. I came in pitching staff about we need to think about the portfolio in terms of separating alpha and beta being risk-based and really establishing that philosophy. We've gotten to a point where my staff call it the new paradigm. Everything that we do now tries to rally and align to that new paradigm. That was the first thing, and I think that was critical coming in here at Para. So that philosophy is really the idea of separating alpha and beta, so making sure that we're getting sources of idiosyncratic return from our active management and combining it with a as-best risk-diversified, not capital-diversified beta allocation. One of the key things that we've done to kind of support that philosophy, we redesigned our governance structure. It really redefined what the investment roles and responsibilities were between staff, board, and consultants. So at the end of the day, what the governance structure that we adopted, and this was pretty early in my initial tenure, was that the board only sets high-level policies. In effect, the board really sets two, three big decisions, which are obviously strategic asset allocation targets, but also they adopt a risk budget, and then they adopt benchmarks. Everything else is delegated to staff. Staff is focused entirely on implementing that risk budget that the board has allocated or adopted. We do all manager selection, et cetera, work in conjunction with our consultants. In that risk budget, we live under an active risk target or a tracking error target where we can make the decisions up to a certain amount of tracking error band. That governance structure was a big, significant change for our plan. And as I alluded to, risk budget at the end of the day becomes a very important governing tool for the board and for us to kind of oversee what staff is implementing and what we are doing. But it also gives us a key flexibility to hopefully produce value add over time. That risk budget delineates in three general phases what we're trying to accomplish, which are beta-driven returns and risk, and what we call allocation-driven returns and risk, which are predominantly private active management, and then what we call selection, which is idiosyncratic-driven risk and returns. That is a key foundation of everything we do. In addition to that, one of the things that I realized when we got in here, and I think this is true of any CIO out there, is over the next 10 years, I think the investment environment is a pretty low-returning environment. One of the first things I did is let's analyze 
our current portfolio and where we sit relative over the next 10 years relative to our actual hurdle, which is about seven and a quarter percent. So what we realize is we're short. And so it's, all right, so how do we bridge the gap from where we are today to getting close to our actual hurdle over the next 10 years? So what we've done is we've identified kind of three broad strategies to bridge that return gap. We estimate that return gap between where our portfolio was two years ago versus where we need to go is about a one and a half percent, which is a big deal. That's a big gap. So we've identified three things, which is three strategies to improve our risk diversification, not our capital diversification. And I'll get into that. Improve our private active management or what we call our control alpha and increase and improve our idiosyncratic alpha or idiosyncratic active management. For our risk diversification, what we've identified is trying to get more risk parity-like in our beta allocations. That's led us to more risk allocation to real assets and then to adopting kind of a customized risk parity solution. But on the private side, we don't think of private assets as asset classes. We think of them as just another way to engage in active management and what you're trying to generate in that is a control alpha by being ahead of boards, et cetera you can extract a control alpha. We've increased that allocation, but we've been, I would say, more deliberate about how we allocate to that and the funds that we allocate there. We optimize our manager selection and private assets in the same philosophy about trying to find skill and separating alpha and beta. So we use some key analytics there to ensure that we're allocating to the right to skill-based managers. We use kind of the direct alpha and the KSPME methodology. So we make sure that we fully adjust our public market equivalents to there and, and try to find our skill-based alpha. And then on the public market side, we're trying to find pure idiosyncratic risk as best as we can. We've revamped our lineup of our public active management there in equities and space and actually in fixed income. And going forward, we're looking to integrate some 13030 strategies and redesign our portable alpha structure so that we can enhance that piece of the pie. But in general, we're looking for managers that have more concentration higher active share, higher tracking error. I think those types of portfolios have a better opportunity to outperform. That's broadly some of the strategies that we've brought into the portfolio and kind of what we're trying to achieve. And at the end of the day, it's those three broad strategies that we think we have to enhance to try to bridge the gap over the next 10 years so that we have a chance of meeting our actual hurdle. A new innovation Garcia has been working on is the fund's passive risk parity strategy. Normally, this all-weather element is a more active approach to investment diversification against economic downturns, but the New Mexico Para is doing something different. Instead of going the usual way, the fund's risk parity allocation will go into a customized index, which splits risk equity into stocks, bonds, and commodities, while targeting a 15% volatility. Here's a closer look. We realize that we need to come up with some strategies to bridge our return gap over the next 10 years. And we identified risk balance, risk diversification, or risk parity as a key mechanism to help us get there. And, and the reason why we arrived at risk parity was because we realized that improving our return assumptions over time, we could do that by increasing our equity risk, but actually that doesn't help too much. And that actually just decreases our overall sharp ratio. So what we asked ourselves is, what strategy could we employ without simply buying more equity risk that actually can improve our sharp ratio, improve that dynamics of our portfolio, and align better with our liability stream? Risk parity became pretty clear. 
that that was an opportunity to do all the above. By allocating to kind of a customized risk parity solution for ourselves, what we're doing is we're improving our sharp ratio at our portfolio without increasing total plan vol. We get the benefit of that improved sharp ratio, more risk diversification across the plan to weather some economic storms. The third big kicker is we get some better drawdown features, which are quite helpful. And then the fourth big one that I think risk parity doesn't get the kudos that it deserves in this regard is it actually aligns pretty well with our liability and cash flow needs over time. So what we found was by producing our risk parity strategy, we were able to not only improve or help bridge that return gap, as it turned out to be a key strategy to help do that, but we got much closer correlation and better alignment with our liability stream. Now, the challenge that we found was that the risk parity strategy worked well from a strategic point of view, but we also live pretty strictly under that risk budget that I mentioned. A lot of the strategies out in the marketplace didn't quite fit into our risk budget framework well, and in fact, it kind of blew out a lot of our risk budget framework. We had to come up with a solution or a customized solution that not only would meet the parameters of those strategic goals of improving sharp ratio, improving our drawdown profile, and meeting and improving and aligning better with our liability structure, it also had to fit in the risk budget. That's why we came up with that customized solution and came up with a customized index to actually fit all those parameters. And it turns out that that solution is quite cost-effective as well. It's pretty close to index-like cost. It became a win-win-win solution for us that we were able to come up with. And it took us over a year to come up with that solution. And I was really proud of our staff and all of our partners for really trying to think outside the box and triangulate and meet a bunch of different parameters and objectives that we got to. As a public plan CIO, Garcia has a few concerns that some of his corporate peers might not encounter. Here are some of his challenges with running the fund. Some of the biggest challenges I face as a public pension CIO, I think, are overall sustainability. We're about 71% funded, which is dead on kind of the average in the industry. If you look under the hood a little closer, the demographics of our plan don't work in our favor. and Our negative cash flow starts getting unhealthy. So when you actually look at our sustainability and our funding status at 71%, we actually are a little more fragile than that. If there's a significant pain in the marketplace, I think that 71% can drop significantly. We have a small margin for error. And I think trying to fix that, because there's not really an investment solution to fix overall sustainability of a public pension plan. It really gets into plan designing, funding, and funding policies. And so I think that's a huge challenge to be able to rally stakeholders around all those solutions. That's a huge challenge. That's challenge number one. I think that the second biggest challenge is, as a public pension, at least where we're at, is I think what I've found is that we generally run on a 20th century business model. A 20th century business model isn't going to meet the challenges of the 21st century. And so we need to redesign the way our business model is so that it can be more flexible and agile to meet dynamic changes going forward. But being able to do that, you have to be able to change compensation structures, budgeted resources, et cetera. And a lot of that runs into bureaucratic challenges, et cetera. But I think it's essential to be able to build a more agile and flexible business model that you can attract and retain the talent to really meet dynamic changes for the 21st century. Because strictly from an investment point of view, the next 10, 20, 30 years from an investment 
point of view are going to be much more challenging, I think, than what we've seen in the past. Skill-based returns is going to be more important, I think, than ever. And in order to generate consistent skill-based return, it's going to be hard, And but you need to have that talent and the resources to do it, and you need to have that modern, flexible business model. So those two things, I think, are the biggest challenges facing not only me, but I think most public pension plans. Although these woes are unique to Garcia's situation, there are others that plague a broader scope of the asset owner industry, meaning the corporate pension funds and even endowments and foundations worry about these risks as well. I think there's two pretty common things is, well, three, I should say. First is bridging that return gap, as I've emphasized. I think at least the next 10 years is a low return environment and trying to generate your actuarial hurdle is going to be a super big challenge. Over the next 10 years, if public pension CIO is able to meet his or her actuarial hurdle, I think that person should get a high five, but they won't. So bridging that return gap and coming up with solutions to do that, it's constantly on my mind even when I'm asleep. I think the next thing is, at least from our plan perspective, our plan design and our funding policies are fixed and inflexible. Being able to weather storms in the future, it doesn't have that dynamic nature of it to be able to weather those those changing storms, and that worries me. Not being inflexible with the way the design of our system is. And the third thing is just my staff getting a better opportunity somewhere else, getting a job opportunity where I can't compete with the pay. Those are the three big things because without good people, there's no way we could achieve our goals. To stave off and maybe eliminate some of these issues, Dominic feels that there are some habits that need to change in order to create a better industry for institutional investors. Channeling his inner villa, he's willing to share some advice for his peers and future CIOs of tomorrow. I think CIOs can really hunker down and stay very focused on trying to build the most efficient portfolio. And I think many times, at least in the past, I think the CIOs can be focused on kind of their peer performance, etc. I think most of that needs to change. I think CIOs need to think more broadly about sustainability of the plan. And I think in the public pension world, we really have to redesign to a large extent. I think there's there's one or two models out there that we can learn from, or a handful of models. At least in the U.S., the Wisconsin model, I think, is the top tier, and then the South Dakota model is the top tier as well. And then our friends in Canada have a really nice model. But I think CIOs need to think more broadly beyond just the portfolio. You need to look at the entire sustainability of your plan. What's that model? How flexible is your plan design? Is your plan design working for you? Is it dynamic? Can it bend to different economic regimes and stress events? How's your governance? Is it best-in-class governance? Or is your board still micromanaging most things? What are the mechanisms for you to attract and retain talent? As I mentioned, I think skill-based return is going to be more important going forward. And the only way to generate that is to have good skill and talented teams. We need a different model to do that from what we've had in the past. So the entire public pension model from soup to nuts, I think, needs to be moved from the 20th century to the 21st century. It needs to be modernized and updated. The advice I give to my CIO peers is don't be afraid to make that change. Don't be afraid to go out there and, and try to modernize the entire solution because if we don't, it's going to be hard for public pensions to meet the challenges of the next 20 to 30 years. When he's not pulling in the long hours and focusing on the fund, Dominic spends a lot of time with his family, 
His favorite activities include taking advantage of the New Mexico landscape, making sure his wife and kids are okay, and keeping his mind in shape. I'm active. I like to run. I hike. I bike. I live in the historic district of Santa Fe, so we are very close to mountain trails. So I spend a lot of time walking and hiking pretty much every day. That's just a great part of my day, living here in the beautiful area of Santa Fe. I do yoga. I try to meditate every day. Those are really beneficial things personally and professionally. I have three kids. One's 14, one's 12, and one's 7, and they are all active. So I spend a lot of time shuttling and coaching them in soccer and shuttling them to swimming. One has dance, so I spend a lot of time supporting their hobbies. I also spend a lot of time gardening, and I've gotten into composting. I've built a uh, worm composter. Being able to do that is quite interesting for me. And in Madison, my wife used to own a superfood smoothie and juicing business. Being able to eat healthy, cold-pressed juice, eat superfood smoothies, like acai and uh, smoothies, and being able to build recipes and have recipes around that, that's kind of a daily interest for us. So making sure that overall I'm a healthy mentally and physically guy and I'm supporting all the interests that my kids have along the way. Thanks for stopping by and checking out the CIO podcast. We'd like to thank Dominic Garcia for his time and wish him well on his journey with the New Mexico Para. You can listen to other podcasts on SoundCloud, iTunes, and AICIO.com, where you'll also find great features and compelling institutional content. I'm Chris Butera. You stay classy now. <laughs>